the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When we talk about the body of Christ, a pastor or a leader is not above anybody else in the body of Christ in the sense of importance. They do have a different role, and yes, there is submission to authority, but everyone in the body of Christ is necessary. And God truly despises a division between priesthood and a laity, like an elite group and then a lesser group, that you have to come to them to get to God. God despises any teaching like this that religion creates. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. God is calling His people to be holy as He is holy. He has been laying out to Moses how the children of Israel were to conduct their worship to God. We have seen the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering the sin offering, and the trespass offering, each with their symbolisms and meanings. Now God will address the priestly duties for these sacrifices. We join Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 8. Remember, the whole theme of the book of Leviticus is called to be holy. You know, we start the book and it says, and the Lord called unto Moses and spoke in the matter of the tabernacle of the congregation. He said, this is what I want my people to be. As we've been going through all these sacrifices, remember where there's five different sacrifices. Three of them are voluntary. You, you decide if you want to do them. The burnt offering, which symbolizes your absolute surrender to God, full surrender. The grain offering, which symbolized when you wanted to dedicate some service to God. The peace offering, which is when you just wanted to hang out with the Lord. And then the two compulsory offerings, when you sinned or you trespassed, when you were trying to do the right thing, but you fell short and sinned, or when you knew full well what you were doing was wrong and you did it anyway, those two offerings. You might be thinking, well, we've covered all those. And if you've read ahead, you might be wondering why the rest of chapter six and chapter seven are here. It almost seems like he's just repeating himself over again. And while there is some repetition here, there is also something that's a bit different than in chapters 1 through 5. See, chapters 1 through 5 were addressed to the person who was bringing the offering. It was the instructions for them. Remember, there's never been priests before for Israel. They, they don't know how to do their job. And so chapters 6 through and 7, the rest of them, that's addressed now to the priests. And it describes in greater detail their role and their portion for each of their offerings. Since Jesus is our great high priest, it paints a picture of what he's done for us. And because we're called to be priests, it also paints a picture of our service to God. So Leviticus chapter 6, verse 8. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. So here we see this is now teaching and instruction for Aaron and his sons, the priests, on how they're going to do these offerings. And the first one, we're going to go through all five again, is the burnt offering. It will be in different order this time, though. He says, This is the law of the burnt offering, the holy consumed offering. It is a burnt offering. 
because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. Here we see that the altar of sacrifice, the one that was outside the actual holy place and holy of holies, that would burn day and night without end. It would never stop burning. In fact, it was only put out when the tabernacle was on the move. So this meant then it would need to be cleaned daily because it's constantly burning. So verse 10, here we see how they would keep it clean. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen breeches shall be upon his flesh. And he shall take up the ashes, which the fire has consumed with the burnt offering on the altar. And he shall put them beside next to the altar. And then when the day's done, it says he shall put off his garments and put on other garments as normal clothes and carry forth those ashes without outside the camp unto a clean place. As the priest was going through the day, when all the work had been done for an actual sacrifice, he would take off all the special clothes he wore except for the undergarments. It says the linen garment and his linen breeches. So these were the white undergarments that the high priest wore beneath all the ornate outside stuff. So technically it was holy underwear. We learn about this in Exodus chapter 28 when we saw all the things for the priests and it mentions that they're never to go in there and serve the Lord without the undergarments, the holy undergarments. If you want to find that, you can look at that in your own time in Exodus 28, 39 through 43. So once he had stacked the ashes of the sacrifice next to the altar, he had to wear these garments. As long as he was serving there to do that, he would wear these garments, which I think is interesting because it means he couldn't even do the cleanup job in his own righteousness. Even the smallest task, the cleanup task that took place in the tabernacle, he had to be wearing the garments that would show that he was clothed with righteousness. Because he wasn't allowed to wear the holy garments outside the tabernacle, when he was going to dispose of the ashes, he had to take them off. And then he put on his normal clothes, and then he would go out and he would take them to a a clean place. Because remember, outside the camp, that's where the unclean dwelt. And so he'd have to find a clean place outside the camp and then he would take the ashes and he would dispose of them there. This has even greater meaning when we recall that the ashes being taken outside the camp symbolize God removing their sin. And we'll get to that in a moment. So verse 12, and the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. Make sure there's fuel there. And he shall lay the burnt offering in order upon it. Remember, every morning and evening at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., they would put a burnt offering on there to symbolize that Israel was always to be yielded and surrendered to God. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings, which we already covered in previous chapters. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Do you think that God's trying to make a point? I remember the kids watching a VeggieTales episode and it was about obedience, not deterring going to the right or to the left. And Larry the cucumber, of course, he's out there and Bob was sick and he needed some special ice cream to make him feel better. And so Larry went to Pa Grape to go find a special ice cream and Pa told him, he said, listen, I'm making it for you now, but if you go to the right or to the left and you get distracted, it's going to melt by the time you get home. You need to go straight home. And of course, the episode's about all the things that could distract him on the way home. He's to stay right on the straight track and obey the Lord. And the Lord does this. And so constantly you see throughout the episode, what made me share this is you hear Pa Grape in his mind when he wants to go play with his friends or do something else. He's like, go straight home. And so God, he's saying this over and over again. It shall never go out. Don't ever put the fire out. The fire will always be burning. And there's a reason. See, God is angry at sin every single day. And we can never forget that. And when we look at all the horrible things that occur each day, can we blame him? God's wrath is ever burning. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And because God's wrath is ever burning, this is why no amount of good deeds can satisfy his justice. Only the perfect sacrifice can do that. And that's what Jesus did. We talked about the ashes going outside the camp 
when it mentions in Hebrews 13, verses 11 through 13, that Jesus himself, as our offering, our burnt offering, that he was taken outside the camp. It says, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. But here's how we follow in his footsteps as his priests. It says here in verse 13 of Hebrews 13, let us go forth therefore unto him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. As God's priests, you know, we're not to be content to stay inside the four walls of the church with those who think as we do. We need to go out into the world where all the sin is, where all that pile of ashes would be every day, where they would stack them. We need to go out into the world where all the sin is and spread the good news that there's a place that they can find forgiveness. We sang about it in that song, the Place of Freedom song tonight. We're to tell them there's a place where they can find freedom from the bondage of sin, where they can find reconciliation with God. And then we're to invite them in. But you know, it's interesting too when you think about the fact that God says a second time that the fire is never to be put out. There is a fire, interestingly enough, continually burning on the heavenly altar too. Look at Isaiah chapter six. We have a beautiful story of where God called Isaiah to be his prophet. And he has a vision of the Lord. And when he sees the Lord, he says, woe is me for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. In verse six, look at this. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, lo, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. While the ever-burning fire does symbolize God's anger at sin every day, it also symbolizes God's desire to forgive every day, amen? God always wants to forgive. Isaiah, for him, it wasn't a place of judgment. It was a place of forgiveness. We can always come to the Lord for forgiveness. Whatever time of the day he's willing to give it, that fire in his heart never goes out. Back in Leviticus chapter six, move now to the instructions for the next offering, the grain offering, verse 14 of Leviticus six. This is the law or the rules or the instruction for the meat offering, King James says, but remember that refers to a a grain offering, a baked offering. It says, the sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord, before the altar. He shall take of it a handful of the flour of the grain offering and of the oil thereof and the frankincense, which is upon the grain offering. And he shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor, even the memorial of it unto the Lord. Now this is nothing new. We already knew this part from chapter two of Leviticus, but here's where the new part comes, verse 16. And the remainder of it, so whatever's not in the handful he takes, The remainder thereof shall Aaron and his sons eat. With unleavened bread shall it be eaten in the holy place. In the court of the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it unto them for their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy, as is the sin offering and as the trespass offering. All the males among the children of Aaron shall eat it. It shall be a statute forever in your generations concerning the offerings of the Lord made by fire. Everyone that touches them shall be holy. So here we see that now we get instructions on what the priests were to do with the leftovers. We knew they were supposed to eat it, but now we get the instructions of how. It mentions here that he shall take it and eat it in verse 16. It says the holy place. Literally, it's not the holy place here, but a holy place. There's no the in this word here. Could be anywhere in the tabernacle. They didn't have to go inside the the actual tent, you know, where it was covered to eat it. They could eat it anywhere in the tabernacle, anywhere in the court. That's interesting because it mentions here that they shall eat it all here in the court of the tabernacle of the 
congregation shall he eat it. The priests couldn't take this home to their families. It was their food for the day. This means they weren't allowed to bring their lunch with them. They had to trust God for their work meals every day. That'd be an interesting way to live. Some of us go, we don't bring our work meal just because we're lazy. And then we have to go pay too much money for food at a place that's probably not healthy for us. But these guys, they had to show up and there was no Taco Bell around the corner if nobody came to church that day. They had to trust that somebody's going to bring an offering or otherwise we ain't eating today. It's interesting, George Mueller, if you've never read his story, a fascinating story, he was a pastor in England who had it on his heart to start orphanages. And so he started many orphanages all throughout the world. He never took a salary from the church, never, for all the days of his life. He had two boxes that were out there for the church if they wanted to give an offering. So the one was for the church and then the one was for him and his family. They would go and they'd look at the box and there's nothing in there. They would have to pray and ask God, you know, Lord, can you provide lunch today? Because that was supposed to be our lunch money. And sure enough, someone would come over and, you know, bring food for him or whatever it was, bring some money for him, whatever. He just trusted God for that all the days of his life. And it was through that money, not through the church money, but through that money that he founded the orphanages because the Lord gave above and beyond what his family needed. If you've never read the biography of George Mueller, you need to. He was an incredible man. God used him very mightily. But this also reminded them that their service was sustained by the people's service. They could never independently serve of the people as if they were higher or better. They couldn't just go about their business unless the people partnered with them in their business. And when we talk about the body of Christ, a pastor or a leader is not above anybody else in the body of Christ in the sense of importance. They do have a different role. And yes, there is submission to authority, but everyone in the body of Christ is necessary. And God truly despises a division between priesthood and a laity, like an elite group and then a lesser group that you have to come to them to get to God. God despises any teaching like this that religion creates. In fact, in Revelation 2 verse 6, he told the Ephesian church, he said, this you have going for you, that you hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate too. That's an interesting word, Nicolaitan. Nico is the word for priesthood in Greek. Laetan, of course, is the word for laity. Priesthood over laity. They hated that doctrine. Don't let anyone ever come between you and Jesus. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man. And who is it? Even the man Christ Jesus, right? I'm not your priest. We're all priests unto our God. I always chuckle when someone asks me, I say, you know, I say, what do you do? I pastor a church. Oh, you're a priest. I say, well, yes, I am a priest, but so is everybody in my church. And then they just kind of don't know what to do with that. We believe in what's called the priesthood of all believers. As we read in our scripture reading in Revelation chapter one, he's made us kings and priests unto our God. Literally, it's not kings and priests, even though we will rule and reign with him, but it means he's made us a kingdom of priests. That's how you should translate that. That's what we are. You're a priest. You're also a saint. Did you know that too? I'm Saint Will. I am. And it's not because of anything good I've done. It's because of everything good that he did. And because I put my faith in him, now I'm clothed in his righteousness. So I'm Saint Will. It mentions here also, as you go down in chapter 6, verse 17, that they should not bake any leaven with it. God says, don't you add any leaven to this, because they're going to come with very tasteless crackers. They're going to be salted, but that's it. So it's just saltines or salted pancakes or whatever it might be, and mixed with a little bit of butter. But there's no leaven going into here. Not the stuff that makes it really good and makes it taste like a cupcake instead of oh, just a pancake. The Lord says, you're not going to add any. I know the food's plain, but you're never to remix it or bake it with leaven to spice it up more. The priests were never meant to be heroes or rock stars. They were servants drawing attention to the awesome God who dwelt in their midst, not themselves. And then lastly, it mentions here at the end of verse 18 that everyone that touches them or eats of it shall be holy. Now that doesn't mean 
to touch it, you have to be holy, but it means touching it and consuming it made them holy. It set them apart. When we look at Israel, all of them were to be holy. All of Israel were to live lives that were set apart, to be different. And so the priest, when he would eat this, there'd be a daily reminder that God was making them holy as they ate that. And it was to be a constant reminder to them that when they left that tabernacle and left the offering behind, that they were to be holy as well. And so when we come together and maybe you see someone who is a godly man or a godly woman, your reaction shouldn't be to go, oh, I'm not like them. I wish I was a husband like that guy was or a wife like that gal was, or I wish I could share my faith like that person. No, what it should do is it should encourage you and go, okay, this is a week is a new week, right? This day is a new day. And Lord, I want to serve you with this day that's left to me now. And I want to be set apart for you. Don't let it discourage you. Let it encourage you. Let their testimony encourage you to live for the Lord. This might normally have been the end of his teaching for the priests on the grain offering, but there's more teaching. Verse 19. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, this is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer unto the Lord in the day when he is anointed. Exodus 29 gave instructions for when a new priest began his service to the Lord. He'd go through a ritual bathing. Then he would spend seven days in the tabernacle alone with the Lord, just hanging out with him. So I don't know if they had a corner where people didn't hang out and that was just him and Jesus were going to hang out, but that's what they would do. We're going to read about it in a little bit when we get to chapter eight, but they would hang out with the Lord for a week, just be in his presence, talk to him, hear from him. They would be with him. Now, when that was done, they would come outside the tabernacle again. And then a special offering of one bull and two rams would be made by the current priests to consecrate the new one for service that we learn about in Exodus 29. But here we learn there's something else that's added to it. On that day, he shall also bring. So the priest would provide the rams and the bull, but now the person going to be the new priest, he had to bring something. And this is what he'd bring. The 10th part of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering. It says perpetual, which basically means that this would mean the priest did it every day. It meant that this was a continual rule for every new priest upon beginning his service to the Lord in the tabernacle. Half of it in the morning and half of it thereof at night. And he'll bring it in a pan. It shall be made with oil. And when it is bacon, you shall bring it in. And the bacon pieces, not bake in, but baked pieces of the meat offering shall you offer for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the priest of his sons that is anointed in his place shall offer it. It is a statue forever unto the Lord. It'll be wholly burnt. He doesn't eat any. All of it gets burned on the altar. For every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burnt. It shall not be eaten. Remember the grain offering symbolized your service to God. And so here we learn that the new priest would have to bring a grain offering to symbolize his desire to serve in this role. Yes, he was born to it, but now this would be his commitment to it. There are times when the Lord calls us to something and we know it. We know this is what I need to do. Whether it might be to share your faith with a friend or a family member or to serve in an area at church or maybe to start a new ministry that step out in faith and do something new. We know that in our heart, but there still comes a place where we have to decide we want to do it, right? Lord, I'm all in. I know you want me to do this, but you've got my whole heart. I'm all in. Jonah knew what God wanted him to do, but what did he do? He ran and then he was sleeping with the fishes for a few days. But then when the Lord finally grabbed a hold of him and he realized how gracious God had been to him, what did he say? He said, Lord, I'll go and I'll faithfully do this. Now, he got an attitude again later on, but that's a whole different story. But the point is, is that we all have to come to that place. And this is what this was for that priest. Yes, he would reach a certain age and he have to begin his service. But this offering would be symbolic of the fact that he said, Lord, I want to serve you in this way. I want to do this. But he wouldn't be able to eat any of it, which is a reminder that their service was to God. It was not for themselves. And when you choose to serve the Lord in, in a way where you're going to lead people, it can't be so you can get pats on the back or everybody can look and see how spiritual and wonderful you are. It has to truly be for the Lord. It has to be something where you say, Lord, I'm doing this for you and you alone. I don't want any attention on me. I want all of it to go right back to you. 
Well, how does this offering point to Jesus and to us? Well, it mentions here that they would eat it in the holy place. This was special bread given to them for special nourishment while they served. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, right? That we were to look to him as our provider every single day. It's funny how when you're not making enough money to meet those needs that you pray every day. (laughs) And then what happens when you do, it's very easy to not pray every day. It's very easy to not ask the Lord for provision. And we need to never forget that. Jesus said that to all of his disciples. Some of them were poor, some of them were not so poor. And he said to every one of them, you pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord. You are a provider each and every day. The bread here was not to be baked with leaven. Like the priests were not to be rock stars. Our job is to point the way to Jesus because he's greater than any spiced up meal we could offer somebody, right? You can't get better. You can't improve on Jesus, can you? Sometimes today I hear people say, the Bible's not very interesting or the Bible's not relevant to us today. And I think you're trying to spice up Jesus. Here's Jesus and we're gonna add some salt and some pepper and some other stuff, hot sauce, you know, or whatever it might be. You can't spice up Jesus. It's the plain, simple teaching of God's word, the plain, simple preaching of the gospel and the power of God's spirit that works in people's lives. Now it also mentions here that when they ate the bread, that it would make them holy as they worked. Matthew 4, 4, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he said, since you're the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And what did Jesus reply? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Ingesting God's word by applying it to our lives daily, it sets us apart. It purifies us, right? When we take it in and we make it a part of our lives, it sets us apart. It makes us holy. It makes us different. Well, the next offering, verse 24, we get to is the sin offering. And it says, the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, speak unto Aaron and to his son saying, this is the law. These are the instructions for the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord? It is most holy. Priest that offers it for sin shall eat it. In the holy place shall it be eaten in the court of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, you might be saying, time out, Will. I thought the priest had to dispose of everything outside the camp except the fat. I thought nobody could eat anything. And the fat went on the altar and that's it. You're right, true, except in one circumstance. We read in Leviticus 4, 27 through 35, that when the sin offering was brought by a common person, so not by the sin of the congregation or a sin of the priest or a sin of the ruler, when a common person brought his sin offering, then... There was no mention of the disposal of the body. There was no instruction to take the rest of the animal outside the camp to be burned. In that case, the Lord still got the fat, but the meat was to be eaten by the priests who were serving that day. So the bread was the bread portion of their meal for the day. And if anybody brought a sin offering, that was their food along with the grain offerings that were brought each day. And the mealtimes here also had special rules. Verse 27. He says, whatsoever shall touch the flesh thereof shall be holy. So just like the grain offering, eating that meat would set them apart, make them unique and distinct and serve as a reminder to the rest of Israel that they were to be unique and distinct. So whatsoever shall touch the flesh thereof shall be holy. And when there is sprinkled of the blood thereof upon any garment, you shall wash that whereon it was sprinkled in the holy place. When the blood was sprinkled upon the altar or the altars, remember a few of the offerings they had to go inside and put it on the golden altar too, some of it might spatter on the priest's garments. Those spots had to be washed off because his garments symbolized the holiness that comes from being forgiven by the shed blood of the sacrifice. There could be no evidence of that sin, a reminder of that sin that required the bloodshed on his garments when he went before the Lord. So he says, if you get any of that stuff on your garments, you need to break out the tide, man. You need to get that thing washed off. And so he would have to take care of that. Verse 28, some more rules. But the earthen vessel wherein it is sodden, where it was boiled. So if you had a scorched clay pot that you 
cook the food in, you know, they would boil it with water. It shall be broken. You take it and you shatter it. And if it be boiled in a brazen pot, which would be like a brass vessel, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. Scoured means to be thoroughly scrubbed and polished. Now, the reason if it was a a clay pot, you would have to break it is because while it was being cooked, it would absorb some of the meat. And therefore, that thing would now become tainted by that, tainted by the sin couldn't be used again. You got to smash it. But if it had been a brass pot, you could scour it. I mean, it means to thoroughly scrub and polish. Nothing of what was cooked could be left hanging around. No little beef chad hanging off the side. You thought the health department was serious. God says none of that left. That you got to totally scrub it. Verse 29, all the males among the priests shall eat thereof. It is most holy. And here's one final rule. No sin offering whereof any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle. This is all the other, the other three kinds of sin offerings. No sin offering where any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile in the holy place. None of that shall be eaten. It shall be burnt in the fire when you take it outside the camp. Remember when the congregation of the priests sinned, the blood had to be brought inside the holy place and smeared on the horns of the golden altar too. That, those offerings, the priests didn't eat anything. That meat would be taken outside the camp and completely burned. Now, what's interesting about the sin offering here is it points to Jesus. It mentions that it is most holy unto the Lord. Crucifixion is a barbaric thing. It's kind of a weird thing when we wear a cross around our neck, isn't it? The equivalent today would be maybe like an injection needle or an electric chair. I mean, truthfully, it's a barbaric thing. You're putting someone to death. Even though crucifixion is a barbaric thing, Jesus's death was different, wasn't it? It was different. Completely different because it was the sinless lamb of God dying for the sins of the world. That made it unlike any crucifixion in history. Look over at Matthew 27 with me. I love this portion of scripture. I don't think this ever happened when anyone else was crucified. Beginning in verse 51. This is after Jesus died. He gave up the ghost in verse 50. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And they came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the son of God. This was like no other crucifixion they had ever seen. Jesus's sin offering was indeed most holy unto the Lord. Jesus is the sinless lamb of God that died to take the penalty of all the sins of the world. He died in our place. We could not go before God's presence by anything we could do or give, but Jesus gave it all so that we might have the gift of knowing God. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.